How's it going, everybody? And welcome back to the Colt 45 Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Hicks. As always, you can find my work over on Stampede Blue, also on the Draft Wire, and here on the Colt 45 Podcast. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in again. This is the third episode now. Uh, I'm, I'm having a blast doing this show so far, having some great guests on, and I'm loving all the feedback I've been getting from you guys so far. Uh, so I just want to take a minute here before I get to my interview today with Brandon Thorne of The Athletic and of the Trench Warfare podcast, just to say thank you to all of you guys who have been tuning into this podcast the last few days, uh, last few weeks even. Uh, it's just been a blast so far, and and I couldn't have asked for anything more with this podcast. Uh, Brandon's a great guest today. We, we go over a lot of things regarding the Colts offensive line. We talk about Howard Mudd and Chris Strasser and how they are different from from Googe, uh last year and and how, you know, kind of Googe going from that rah-rah coach going to more of a technician. Uh, I think it's a great conversation, and, and Brandon was excellent there. And then jumping over to uh, just how he would rank the Colts offensive line across the rest of the league and and also how he would rank and, and how he would break down the film of a couple of the players on the offensive line. It's just great stuff from Brandon and been one of my favorite guests so far and, and definitely one of my favorite guests I've ever had on a podcast going back to my time with Locked On Redskins. Uh, so definitely uh, stay tuned here for the show. Uh, Brandon, again, was great. And I just want to say thank you again to all of you guys who've been tuning in. If you are a fan of this episode or any of the previous episodes here with Colt 45, please go on iTunes, give us five stars, give us a positive review. It really means a lot. You know, I know it, it takes five seconds out of your day, and it really means a lot to me. I really want to see your feedback and really want to see uh, just how this podcast is going for you guys so far and, and what areas you would like me to change to, to make it even better. Uh, so definitely do all that, guys. And, and now we're going to jump right into my interview here with Brandon Thorne of The Athletic. All right, guys, we've got an announcement to make. Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating slip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. You get all that just for three bucks shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's is fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Thank goodness they did, because I used Harry's to maintain my beard, and I can attest they are amazing. Join the 10 million people, including me, who have tried Harry's. You can claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for $3. All right, guys, welcome back to another edition of the Colt 45 podcast. I'm your host, Zach Hicks, as always, and today I'm joined with a very special guest. It'll be Brandon Thorne of The Athletic and also host of the uh, the Trench Warfare podcast here for Blue Wire as well. Uh, if you guys have not checked out that podcast, I highly recommend it. Uh, he has great guests on every single week from former offensive linemen to coaches uh, in college football and across the NFL. He has some uh, great insight on that podcast, so definitely check it out. But Brandon, I want to say thank you for joining the podcast today. Hey, absolutely, Zach. Thanks for having me, and uh, sorry about that phone call. <laughs> Yeah, no worries at all. It happens. Uh, I definitely want to say uh, thanks for coming on again. And, and we're going to talk some offensive line today. Brandon is, yeah. I would say, one of the experts when it comes to offensive line, uh, not only on Twitter, but for, you know, uh, all his sites that he works. He provides a great, a lot of great content and a lot of insight when it comes to offensive line play. And Colts fans this past year have really become big fans of offensive line play. Just 
uh, from how well the offensive line performed, uh, seeing them go from worst to one of the best in the league. I think that is, that's just made Colts fans so excited about offensive line play in general. Uh, but to get started off here, you know, the Colts made a huge change this offseason. They kept all five of their starters on the offensive line from an offensive line group that allowed the least amount of sacks in the NFL. But they did make a big change when it came to coaching. They got rid of their assistant offensive coach. I think he went back to Iowa State as the offensive coordinator, I believe, for Iowa State. Uh, and then Coach Googe, who was the offensive line coach last year, again, for an offensive line group that led the NFL in least amount of sacks allowed. He was fired as as the season ended, and they brought in guys in Chris Strasser and Howard Mudd. Uh, so I just want to ask you, Brandon, just off the get-go here, uh, how important is offensive line coaching? Like when it comes to offensive line play, how important is coaching and having a guy who can kind of teach up this technique for guys? So, yeah, I think offensive line coaching is is definitely just really important on a an overall level just for the position because it's such a skill-based position. So I think the players are always looking to not only refine the techniques and the fundamentals that they have, but also incorporate and add new things to their toolbox. And having a competent coach to help facilitate that, I think, is very important. Not all coaches are necessarily very good at teaching those things. Some coaches more so focus on implementing scheme and focus on that area of the position more so than technique and fundamentals, especially at the NFL level, I think, because at that point, at least I think there was an expectation that you should have a certain baseline of those fundamentals and technique. Although I think we've seen over the last several years that that's not always the case, especially with the way that the game's played on the high school and college levels with the implementation of such a heavy spread type of, um, you know, uh, influence on the game and the, the way that that's changed offensive line play to where I don't think finishing is as important. Obviously the run game isn't quite as important for a lot of schemes. So it's just, and then even pass protection is a lot more generic now at the lower levels. It's just kind of like, you know, you're going to slide protect this way, slide protect that way. You're not really going to be on an Island very much as like a tackle for instance. Um, So when you get to the NFL, I think, even more so today than maybe any other time, NFL coaches who can not only implement scheme effectively and communicate that way, but also have that knowledge base of being able to provide the players with uh, an assortment of different techniques to fit them. I think that that is, is very, very important. And I think we see, I think it's pretty tangible to see the effect of that when you look at you know some of these really good, well-known offensive line coaches and how they're able to make players better. I think that's probably as evident with offensive line coaches as, as any other position coach in the game. Absolutely, absolutely. And my my biggest question though is going from a guy like Googe to going with to these two. You know, one, one's a legend in Howard Mudd, but Chris Strasser has also been around the game for so long. Uh, going from a guy like Googe, who is more of a more a rah rah coach, he's more of a hype you up coach, get in your face, a traditional guy. When you think of a football guy, uh, those offensive line coaches that you see at the Senior Bowl, he's kind of that type of guy. Uh, but when you go to a guy like Howard Mudd and guys like Chris Strasser, they're more technique driven. They're more uh, experienced. Uh, in your experience from talking to offensive line coaches and being around offensive line coaches, is there one that's more effective? Because I know those are two different styles there. Uh, is like the more calm and, and technique driven coaching style more beneficial or would you say more of the rah-rah guy kind of can get guys kind of performing at a higher level in your opinion? I think it really depends on the personnel I think that's a big part of it. If you have a lot of refined veteran type players, 
maybe the see see that's the thing i even just answering that question in my own mind i go back and forth because i think it depends on the group and just what they relate to i think good coaches are adaptable and they can adjust the way that they communicate on the fly and just based on the room that they're in so you know i think it really just depends i mean obviously last year with the with how the colts offensive line performed that worked for them um, even though he wasn't brought back. So maybe that could have had some secondary effects that weren't good. But in terms of on-field performance, uh, I don't think you could have gotten much better than what the Colts provided last year offensive line-wise. So I think it worked. Um, and then you look at the way that Braden Smith was able to kick out to right tackle. I believe he only had two starts there at Auburn. He was primarily a right guard. So for him to do that uh, and play as solid as he did for Glowinski to have the best year of his career – um, and for Costanzo to really come back strong after the last few years not being at that level, um, not only did the, the offensive line as a whole play really well, but I think individually players got better um, or at least performed at a really high level. So, you know, I mean, I think that that was effective for what it was. And at the same time, those calm, more calm type of guys who can communicate at a high level with technique and things like that. I, you know, obviously I think that that works uh, tremendously well. And I think that's probably a little bit more common. Um, But yeah, I think it just kind of depends, you know, I think you can have success either way. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, uh, you know, they had a great success last year, but I think going to these two veterans, again, a guy like Chris Strasser who's been around the game for 40 years and Howard Mudd, one of the forefathers of offensive line play. I think it should be a great benefit for this team. Uh, you actually do cover the Broncos for the Athletic Denver. So I did want to get your opinion on Chris Strasser as a coach because he is the offensive line coach uh, for this team. And a lot of people don't seem to be talking about him because of the, the return of Howard Mudd. But uh, what's your overall opinion of Chris Strasser as an offensive line coach? Yeah, so Denver actually had kind of a unique setup last year where they split the offensive line coaches into position groups. So Strasser actually coached the tackles and um, somebody else coached the interior. So if you look at just the tackle play, I think it was decent. I mean, um, you know, and this isn't just solely on the coach. Obviously, he's working with players and the players. If the player isn't that good, it doesn't matter what who the coach is. You know, I'm, I guess there can be some sort of improvement. So I'm not. This isn't a total indictment on him, but just looking at the performance of the tackles, specifically Garrett Bowles. I think the second half of the year he actually probably played the best football of his young career um, up until this point, which isn't saying much um, because he hasn't been very good at all. So for him to even be adequate. Um, you know, but it is an improvement. Um, but still, it, it was good to see that improvement because uh, Broncos fans have been waiting a while for that, um, at least since he's been drafted. So uh, I think that's definitely a good sign that he was able to get a little bit more out of Bowles and kind of uh, allow his talent to shine. I think his technique definitely changed as well. Something I noticed with Bowles, he was able to play inside out a lot more effectively and be a lot more patient in his pass sets and not so aggressive. Um, and he was really using his inside hand well as a pass protector as opposed to the outside hand and missing guys. And it really allowed him to kind of maintain that half-man relationship a lot better as the year went on. So that was that was um, definitely an encouraging tidbit there, I think, for Strasser. Um, and then prior to that, in 2017, I believe he was the assistant offensive line coach. Um, and the Broncos offensive line I mean, last year was probably as good as it's been in the last several years, I think, and it still was probably just an average unit at best. 
Um, I know that they had some good run game numbers and things like that. And some of the analytics suggest that they were very good. Um, but I don't know. I still think that they were kind of average overall. But yeah, I mean, like you said, Strasser's been around the game for a long time. So I'm sure, you know, and I don't, you know, I, I don't, uh, I've never spoken with him uh, or anything like that, but I'm sure he's obviously, you know, very knowledgeable and stuff like that. And then a guy like Howard Mudd, who is associated with the Scouting Academy, who I work for, he was one of our instructors. I've gotten to be kind of a, a student of his a little bit. And, um, you know, he's, he's unique because he really favors, and I know you've highlighted this and other people have as well. He's, He's a big proponent of the jump set. He's obviously uh, somebody who is very much about being aggressive in pass protection and taking the fight to the defender. Uh, he doesn't want to give them any time to you know, set up their moves or anything like that. And I really appreciate that philosophy, but at the same time, it's very dangerous. And there's very, very few players, I think, in the NFL, if any, who can do that on every single snap and be successful unless they're playing for somebody like Howard Mudd. I mean, there's just not a lot of guys that do that. It's I think the best guys can do a little bit of everything. They could be patient, they could be aggressive, and they're going to th- they're going to throw pass rushers off. So it's going to be interesting. I think it's a great fit for somebody like Quentin Nelson who has the length, the strength, the frame, and the technique to win that way, but for other guys, it's going to be interesting to see. Um but yeah, I think it's a fascinating mix of coaching and um, with really good personnel. So I expect this offensive line to be very good. Yeah, I'm glad you brought the Howard Mudd thing too, because I was actually just about to ask you about our discussion that we had on Twitter not too long ago on why you would mix aggressive and passive sets, but you kind of answered it in there. Uh, so I guess my last question here in the coaching segment of this podcast would just be going to that Howard Mudd technique, going to those aggressive pass sets. Uh, you know, a guy like Braden Smith, You know, he had a really good rookie year. I'm not going to downplay that at all. He had a really good rookie season, especially for a guy who barely played tackle at all throughout his entire career. Uh, But he did struggle quite a bit with those kick steps, with the kick slides. Uh, Do you think that jumping to an aggressive pass that would be easier for him or be more difficult for a guy like him who hasn't really played tackle and having to, you know, now instead of getting into your kick slide, getting into your kick step, now going at those those speed rushers at those uh, edge rushers. Do you think that's an easier transition for a guy like that? Or you think it's just difficult going from learning a whole new thing last year to a whole new thing this year? Uh, What do you think that transition is going to be like for him? I think there's going to be some sort of learning curve there for sure, but it's going to allow him to play more so to his roots of being a guard where things happen quicker. You can get your hands on guys quicker off the snap. And I think that it'll suit him really well as well. That's another um, good fit that I think is there with Mud and the offensive line in terms of personnel with Braden Smith because I agree he was solid, especially considering the move out to tackle and the way he was able to adjust on the fly like that. But there was definitely a lot of help incorporated into the pass protection schemes to alleviate some pressure on him tight end wise, running back wise, slide protection wise, things like that. So he very rarely was on an island. And when he was, you can really see those struggles kind of show show up. Um, so yeah, I, I do think that this is going to be a really good fit for him. Um, probably him and Nelson really, to me, it just jumps out that it's probably going to be the best fit for, not that it's going to be a bad fit for the other guys, but I think somebody like Braden Smith will benefit from it. Absolutely. And I completely agree. If you guys want to see my notes on, on the Howard Mudd technique, I did write 
an article for Stampede Blue on the mud technique. It has quotes from Eric Turnover at Cover One, as well as some of Strasser's uh, film from last year with the Broncos. If you guys want to check that out, uh, it's over there on Stampede Blue. We are talking right now with Brandon Thorne from The Athletic and also the host of the Trench Warfare podcast here for Blue Wire, providing great insight on the coaching staff for the Colts uh, offensive line going to this next season. But now we're going to jump to the offensive line group as a whole. And, you know, this this past uh, trend on Twitter, uh, the past month or so, has been making these tiers, the tiermaker.com. Uh, I don't even know what the site is because I haven't gone on it yet. Uh, but Brandon provided his his tier maker of all the offensive line groups in the NFL. And the Colts were not actually in the upper tier. They were not in the top tier. They were in the second highest tier. I think they were probably like your sixth or seventh offensive line. Uh, why, after such a strong year, you know, they, they were first in sacks allowed, had a great running game when Mac was healthy. Uh, why did they not get into that top tier for you? Yeah, so I had an elite tier and a very good tier. And I mentioned when I did it, and I think this is important to to mention as well here now, is I think every unit there for the most part can be bumped up or down one tier, especially when I did it, which was at the end of May. So, uh, you know, obviously it's very premature. It was kind of just what I saw initially and just going over the depth charts and things like that. But I'm definitely going to be doing that again, probably at the end of training camp. And I think that'll be a little bit more fine-tuned. But with that said, the reason why I did it at the time is because I'm somebody who I need to see it a little bit more. And, you know, I mean, it was one really good season. And, you know, things went well as far as um, guys, for the most part, staying healthy, not totally. Like, I think of a guy like Lewinsky, who's the weak link of the offensive line. That's not saying he's a bad player, but just the guy who, if you had to pick one. And I just look at him, you know, he's, he's played for four years. He started 16 games once in his career. I'm not confident that he's going to be the starting right guard every game of this season. That's one reason. Another reason is Braden Smith. Uh, you know, he played well last year in, you know, sliding over to tackle, uh, like all the things that I already mentioned, uh, as far as the help that was incorporated to allow him to play solid. Are they going to be able to do that again? Are they going to be able to play a lot of you know, uh, heavy protection and things like that that are going to really help him out again? Or are they going to be asking him to do more? Um, but you also have to balance that out with the mud effect, which I think is going to help him. So that's kind of... I think there's good and bad there. Not, you know, there's plus and minuses there, but it's still a little bit of a question mark for me. And then aside from that, I mean, I think your strength obviously is Nelson and Kelly. I don't have any questions there. I think they're both very good to elite. I mean, Nelson's elite and Kelly is, you know, right there. And then Costanzo, I like um, as well. I think he's a good player. So no questions there really, but the right guard, right tackle, give me a little bit of pause. Um, and you know, that's why I just had them in a very good category, but still a top five, top six unit in the entire NFL. So uh, I'm very high on them, I think. Yeah. You know, it's very hard to argue with that because there are a lot of good units around the league. You know, you go to Pittsburgh, you go to New Orleans, you go to Philly. Yeah. It's hard to put the Colts over them, even after the Colts had such a great season. And that was actually going to kind of be my next question here was, you know, they gave up the least amount of sacks in the NFL last year, which is a great statistic to throw around if you want to say that they're best line in football. But how much of that can you contribute to, you know, for instance, Andrew Luck or to Frank Wright getting the ball out quick? Do you think that to a degree that that stat is a little bit skewed? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I still I think it's a good 
piece of the puzzle if you want to make an argument that they're the best offensive line or elite offensive line. I think that's a, a good stat to have. But at the same time, when you watch the film, I think that the scheme really helps out the offensive line. Just the way the things that I've mentioned in terms of they know their personnel very well. I think Frank Reich is one of the best play callers and schematic coaches in the NFL. I really like their offensive coordinator that you got from uh, the Chargers, uh, Sirianni. Um, so I really like what they were able to do in terms of helping out their personnel where needed, such as the Braden Smith factor I thought was huge. They were The way that they were able to protect him. And you'd see a lot of full slide protections off of play action. You see... Um, a lot of additional help, whether that's running back chips, tight end chips, or even tight end alignment, tight ends to his side that are lined up in between him and the defensive end that just cause that split second of hesitation to that defensive end that can just help out a tackle. Just little things like that, I think, add up. And you see a lot of it when you watch them. Um, so, you know, I think when you're, you're talking about like the players specifically, you, especially a tackle, you want to see guys play on islands a lot. And you just don't see that a lot with the Colts, at least last year. So that's not to really serve as a knock on them either. It's just, I think, context that's important to consider when you're talking about. Because when you get to the, the, the this high level of offensive line play, you have to sort of split hairs and talk about the nuance and get really granular in how you're discussing these things. And I think when you do that, those things start to become important. But but, you know, all in all, it's still, I mean, they're still a very good offensive line unit. But I just, for the reasons we've talked about, I just am not confident to really put them up in that elite category yet. But I do think it's very possible that it happens this year. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. I don't even have any disagreement there at all because I, I did kind of see a lot of the same things. And as we're going to transition here into kind of talking about these guys individually, a guy like Braden Smith, who I know we've highlighted multiple times already here on this podcast. Uh, Braden Smith was kind of that weak link on the offensive line last year, despite having a great season. I did see a lot on the film, just like Brandon was stating, of how you know he, he struggled with speed rusher. He struggled getting into his kick slide. Uh, he, he did need a lot of help. And then when he was left on island against guys like Demarcus Lawrence, against guys like um, uh, Ford, D. Ford out of uh, Kansas City, mm-hmm. I, I think that he really did struggle. And you could definitely see it. And and that's not, again, it's not a huge knock of him. Those are two top 10, top 15 pass rushers in the NFL when it comes to edge rushers. And for a guy who's playing his first season as a tackle, I think that is, that's definitely a tough task for him, especially if he's not getting help on every single play. Uh, so my next question for you when it comes to Braden Smith, though, is going into year two, you obviously don't want to be having to give a lot of help every single play to your right tackle. What does he need to improve? Is, you know, is it a technique thing? Is it balance is it hand usage what is it really that he needs to improve going into year two so that he doesn't really need that help on every single play well I think this can be said for a lot of guys who are transitioning into a new position who are coming off the rookie year and for for guys to become more comfortable I think is really important that comes with time and a big part of that is adjusting your pass set depending on the alignment of defender that you're facing so when you switch out to tackle, you switch out to a new position, but tackle especially, you're going to see anywhere from a full eye technique to a five technique to a seven technique, a nine technique, and you're going to have to adjust your set points depending on what alignment you're seeing, and that's going to take time. So you really have to perfect a lot of different angles, a lot of different um, just body positioning type of uh, facets to the game, and then from there, your hands as well, you have to 
Um, I think when I watch him, um, either being a little late, a little early, a little wide uh, with his hands, those things I think can be become a little bit more precise with time as well. So I think really like hitting the set points, the various set points that you need to get to, to intersect the rusher at the proper time, depending on the alignment. And then also you have to consider the player. So it's not just the alignment, it's also the player as well. If there's power rusher, speed rusher, how many moves they have, what moves they have. So there's a lot of things that you have to really sort of work on. Um, and he only got to do that during the season. Uh, presumably. Um, so this offseason, he's going to have to actually, he's actually going into camp at that position. He's going to be able to do a lot more uh, prep work in, in that regard, I think. So I would expect him to be better um, for sure, especially with the quality of coaching he's getting and the different, the differing philosophies that he's going to be exposed to with a guy like Howard Mudd, that's going to allow him to be more aggressive and maybe less um, concerned with all those different set points that I just mentioned, but still there is going to be some of that because you can't set the same on, I think, every single technique you see and every single player you see. Although I think more more than anybody, Mud kind of, you know, wants his offensive lineman to do that. I think there is some nuance there. So for me, I think with Smith, I think th- th- that was probably the biggest thing is just not being consistent with um, – you know, how, how he gets out of his stance and, and where he intersects the rusher at. And then hands would be the secondary thing for me. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I, I the same kind of notes I made when I was looking through uh, his film last year. I do think with mud, it does help because instead of having to focus on those set points all the time, you will, it's more of a focus on angles, more focused on making contact with guys, which I think will be big for him, but he does need to improve his set points a lot. And the hands were probably the biggest issue I saw last year, especially again with yeah. guys like Lawrence and Ford. He really did struggle with those guys where they were getting their hands inside on him and they could set him up for moves. I I definitely think I want to see some improvement there. But overall, I was really impressed with his rookie season again, uh, just with with all the progress he made from his first start to his last start without really practicing the position. I know that he has very limited film on him right now, but overall, what do you think his ceiling could be as a right tackle? Or is it too early to say uh, for right now? I think he could become a good right tackle. I'm not sure that I see very good or elite. That's just kind of the way that I categorize it. It's sort of a one to seven scale with players, seven being elite, one being poor. I'd say 70, 75% of players in the NFL are that three, four, five range. Um, but most of them are, yeah, I say most of them are in that range. And I, I could see him becoming like a five player, which to me is just good. Um, above average, which, you know, there's, I'd, you know, that, that would be outstanding. I think if, you know, the second round picks, if they can become good starters, I think that that's pretty much what you expect. And I, I, I can pretty much see that happening with Smith if he can get better in the ways that we said. Honestly, Colts fans would not complain at all about that after, ever since Luck was drafted, they have not had a good right tackle until this past year with, with Brayden Smith. Right. So there's, there's no complaints there if, if he, if you know, if his career trajectory takes him to a good right tackle, but for people just tuning in, it does kind of sound like we are bashing this Colts offensive line, which is not really bashing. It's more of looking at it critically here. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to get Brandon to gush a little bit here because he, I know he loves two players on this offensive line a lot. Uh, one being Ryan Kelly, who I think is one of the most underrated players in this league. I think he's got great athleticism, great strength for a center, and just does a lot of things right. But Brandon, what do, you, what do you think overall about a guy like Ryan Kelly? Yeah, I mean, you've done extensive work on him that I th- think has really done a good job at showcasing what he does so well. And I, to me, when I, whenever I watch Ryan Kelly and going back to Alabama, 
Um, I think that w- what he can do in the running game, uh, specifically on the move, I think is really special. It's not at Jason Kelsey's level necessarily, which nobody is. And obviously he's, you know, he's like under 290 pounds most of the time. So it's a little different for him, but right below him in, in just, I'd say one of the top three, four centers in the game in, in terms of getting out and pulling, getting out of his stance explosively and getting to the second level. Um, the, the angles he takes are very precise in space. He's very efficient. Um, so I love what he can do to the running game and just what he provides. He kind of adds that extra element that can make the center position so valuable, I think, and make make that pivot position um, so valuable to the offense in terms of what he can do. He, he really makes life easier on the guards, I think, with what he can do in the running game, You know, getting to certain linebackers, reaching guys, and allowing guards to not even necessarily have to help him on shades, like shaded techniques, um, he can pretty much handle them himself. So guards are free to get out to the second level a lot easier. And those type of things, I mean, really can make the guys around him better. And then, um, you know, in terms of pass protection, I think he's very clean and efficient there as well. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Um, You know, he can, you know, maybe get a little over aggressive at times, but I mean, you know, you could say that about you know pretty much most of the guys in the league. Um, when, when you look at the landscape of center play in the NFL, I think he's he's in that top five conversation for sure. Uh, especially with especially going strictly off of last season with Frederick not being in that mix. So I, I think you have to say that he's he's in that mix um, even with Frederick at this point. So and he's ascending as well, which I don't think a lot of these other centers like Hudson Frederick. Kelsey Mack are necessarily ascending. They kind of are what they are. And Kelly is one of the guys who's still young enough and doesn't have the, you know, amount of experience on the field yet to really, I think, hit his ceiling. So that's really exciting about him, in my opinion. Yeah. The biggest thing with him just going forward is just staying healthy. Uh, He missed a couple games last year. I mean, yeah, he missed a couple games last year and, you know, it definitely hurt. You know, Evan Bame, I think, was a really good fill in. And I really liked what Evan Bain put out there last year. But he, he's not Ryan Kelly, especially in the run game, especially in the pull game. Uh, he's just not Ryan Kelly. And I think if Ryan Kelly puts together a full season here, stays healthy, playing next to Quentin Nelson, I definitely think that uh, Pro Bowl or maybe even All-Pro uh, is definitely something that he could he could reach this season. Uh, but to go to our next player to gush about, Quentin Nelson was touted as one of the best offensive line prospects in NFL history. A lot of people were comparing him to Hall of Famers. Guys were saying that he should have won the Heisman even in in college football. I know some people were saying that. Uh, Just a a great all-around prospect coming out. And then he comes in his first year, pro bowler, first team all pro, does everything right. Uh, I mean, there's not really much more you can really say about it. But overall, just when you looked at when you were looking at Quentin Nelson's film last year, what did you see? What did you like? Yeah, I mean, Nelson, oh, man. I mean, coming out of Notre Dame, I did a lot of work on him. I've, I have probably two dozen videos, clips and stuff like that on Twitter of breaking down his game. And just he really was – I mean, you saw it on the field. And as a rookie, everything that you saw in college, it, it really kind of looked very similar. He wasn't as physically dominant, which naturally nobody's going to be that same level as they were in college, but he was still able. I remember early on in the season, I don't know if it was week one or week two against the Bengals. I think it might've been week one, but I don't remember exactly. But um, I remember watching um, him in that game against Geno Atkins and they were trading blows in that game. And I've watched a lot of Geno Atkins over the last couple of years 
pretty much almost every snap and nobody really goes blow for blow with him. I mean, maybe here and there, there might be a couple guys that get the better of him one or two reps and over the course of the game. But in that game, Gino got him probably two or three times. I, I remember on in past uh, path pro especially, but I mean, Nelson was able to match his leverage, was able to match his strength and was able to actually sustain blocks on Gino. And that to me, initially I was like, okay, like right away you're out the gate doing this to Gino Atkins. Like that, that got me really excited. And then, you know, he had, I think um, after that, you know, he had a couple games where, it was a little bit up and down um, from from what I saw. I remember the you know the Texans game was one, um, mm-hmm. but there and there was another one I can't think of that he struggled a little bit in. But overall, I mean, I thought he got better as the year went on, more consistent, and uh, you know he at the towards the end of the year, I mean, he was he was pretty much dominant. So yeah, I mean, he has every trait that you could want when you look at offensive line from size, frame, length. The, 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 the nasty demeanor. And I think probably the most underrated part of his game is what he can do above the shoulders with his, with his eyes, with his mind, uh, seeing things that defenses are doing ahead of time. I know that big clip that got, you know, one viral on Twitter against Georgia last year uh, or two years ago in, um, where he made that incredible play coming back around the center to pick off that safety. That's kind of, I think, a, a good example, but he does stuff – not quite to that extent, but he does stuff in the, you know, just in the passing game and the running game where you can see that he studies and he really understands the nuances. So like that to me really stands out about him because he's not just out there mauling people. He's, he's really like a smart player on top of it. And from what I've heard about him, it, just his presence in the locker room was enormous. Uh, the accountability factor went up. Uh, to the, across the whole offensive line, he made guys play to a different level because of the way that he plays the game. Um, so I think for a rookie, I mean, you know, people were saying, you know, you, how can you draft a guard top ten? Or even though you know Brandon Churf went top ten, he played tackle, but he went into guard. And um, I think a guy, if you have a guy like Nelson, uh, I, I just think that was just such a brilliant draft pick at the time and it turned out to be just like a game-changing pick I mean it changed the identity of the offense so yeah there's not much else to say I think yeah no I mean you said it all right there and uh you know even though he's a guard would you say he's maybe obviously outside of Andrew Luck but would you say he's the most important part on the offense outside of Andrew Luck just for what he does uh you know in in the run game in the pass game uh the presence he's on the field the presence in the locker room would, would you say he's the second most important person to that offense from what you saw? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think you could probably say he's the second most important player on the team. Um, I mean, uh, you know, I'm just looking at the defensive depth chart now. I mean, I know there's a lot of solid good players, but yeah, I mean, when you, that's the thing when it comes to positional value, and this is a whole other conversation, but it's really a fascinating one. Like when you're trying to value players and positional versatility, I mean, I think, harping on it as much as we have been at least on twitter lately i think it's a little bit overrated because i think if you have a blue chip elite player you have a blue chip elite player and the impact that that can have i think is it's underrated even if it's at a guard position um and but that at the same time nelson is like a once in a generation type of guy as well so it's a little 
while I do value guards and centers more than most, I think Nelson kind of takes it to that next level because he's so special. But, but yeah, in my mind, without question, I think he's probably the second most important player on the team. I mean, I don't know what you think about that, but. Yeah, I mean, outside of maybe Darius Leonard, I think it's it's definitely up for debate. And yeah. I only say Leonard just because when, when he came off the field just for a couple plays last year, uh, offenses shredded their defense. But outside of that, I mean, yeah. Quentin Nelson, just, he's just everything, man. I mean, he's yeah. he's does does it all. I mean, it's he's completely warranted for all the hype that he got. And I remember I was on a podcast uh, prior to him getting drafted, and I think it was with uh, Jordan Reed, and we were talking, and I was like, does it scare you at all that he is such a perfect prospect? Because you never see that in, mm-hmm. in the NFL. You never see a can't-miss perfect prospect. And to a degree, that scared me, but that's just how good of a prospect he was. And and he really showed it going to his first year. And and now he set the bar as an all-pro as a rookie, and I can only imagine what it's going to be going forward. And I have to ask you, because I know a lot of guys who scout, a lot of people who – uh, are in this industry like scouting academy like you do you guys like to refresh uh, kind of your mind when it comes to uh, scouting you know you watch the top guys in the sport you watch the top prospects from the last few years is Quinn Nelson kind of like the standard not the standard I shouldn't say like more of like the the peak kind of player is that the guy you kind of keep going back to to see like okay this is what elite needs to look like yeah I mean especially for left guard I think it's funny the two best guards in the league I think are both from Notre Dame but um, yeah I think uh for left guard play and you know Quentin Nelson definitely because because he's so technically refined I mean I think those things are things that are you know a little bit more duplicatable obviously than the physical traits that he has which you don't really want to compare many guys to him that way because there's just not a lot of guys that possess what he does but fundamentally technically playing under Harry Heastand at Notre Dame I think you could say that by for a lot of Notre Dame guys um, but Nelson is sort of, you know, along with Zach Martin, are kind of like the prototypical, like creations of Harry Heastan, if you will. Um, they're just like they're monsters. Um, but, but yeah, you always want to look at what elite looks like. But I think I think I know Dan Hatman's mentioned this on Twitter, and I think it's important when you're going back and looking at the previous year. It's more important to watch the good players because that's the vast majority of them. So you want to have an idea of that. But yeah, if you want to. You know, you also have to look at those elite guys. And yeah, for me, left guard, I mean, I think it's Quentin Nelson and then Ali Marpet. Those are the two guys I think that are the, at the top of their game right now as far as left guard play. But but yeah, I mean, Nelson's, you know, he, you can't say enough good things about him. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a great way to to end up this end this podcast off here. I do have one last question, though, uh, just because you do a lot of uh, defensive line breakdowns, a lot of defensive line film studies and stuff as well. Mm-hmm. I know one guy that you really like is Jabal Sheard. Yeah. And a lot of Colts fans are a little bit low on him. They, they think that he's kind of expendable at times. Some people think he's overrated because we always call him underrated. Uh, but overall, what what's just your opinion on a guy like Jabal Sheard? So Jabal Sheard, I think a really good game for people to go back and watch to really get an idea of what he's all about is against Philadelphia last year. That game to me jumps out to what what the, the battles that he had with Lane Johnson that game were really special, especially in the run game. And I think that that's where it starts with Jabal Sheard. He's just a rock on that edge, um, the, the, the edge that he can set with his hands and his play strength um, and his physicality, I think, is is really valuable for a defense. 
Um, so I think that that, you know, kind of allows other guys to play more free. Um, so his play strength, I think really stands out to me, his technique, the way he uses his hands and he's extremely physical and aggressive. I mean, he plays with a certain energy and tone that I think is really valuable and hard to measure with numbers, um, that he brings to the field. So having, he's kind of that savvy veteran guy, you know, that, is naturally gets underrated, especially for a lot of people who are just looking at numbers and not watching the film. So, yeah, for me, I, and I love those guys. And you just got another one in Justin Houston, who I think is still very effective. And right now, I mean, if you guys have, if you have those two guys set in the edge, I think you're in a good spot. So um, I'm excited to watch them. Yeah, absolutely. That that duo is going to be great, and it should be one of the better ones in the NFL. Maybe not the elite. Uh, top end group in the NFL, but uh, definitely you know in that top ten yeah, discussion because of how yeah just because of how consistent and how great they are on the edge of their veteran presence and how strong they are. Mm-hmm. It's going to be very fun to watch. But Brandon, I'd like to thank you for coming on this podcast again. It, it's been a real pleasure and and just some great insight here on offensive line play. Uh, do you have any final things you'd like to say here before we call the show? Uh, no, I don't think so. Just again, I really appreciate you thinking about me and having me on. And anytime you want to do it again, just feel free to reach out. I, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, awesome. Man. And I know, I know Colts fans will love it. They love hearing the offensive line play. I swear, whenever I do film rooms, uh, the number one viewed film rooms I do is is on offensive line play. <laughs> and they always request it. They always request like Ryan Kelly, Quentin Nelson, which I don't, I mean, I can't complain. They're, they're great players. I, I just know that people love these, these offensive line film rooms. And uh, it's always a blast talking it. It's one of my favorite uh, just position groups to watch. And uh, the Colts definitely have one of the better ones in, in all of football. But I wanted to say to all you guys who are just tuning in, thank you for all the support these first few weeks. So the podcast has been a, a real blast having these great guests on and, and definitely more coming here on the Colt 45 podcast. So tune in next week as we have a brand new show for you. And uh, that's all we have for today on the show. Guys are terrible at taking care of their health. Whether it's a knee injury, bad back, or something worse, guys are usually more comfortable rubbing some dirt on it than seeing a doctor. The same is true for erectile dysfunction. Studies show 70% of guys who experience ED don't get treated for it. Thankfully, Roman created an easy way to chat with a doctor online. With Roman, you can get medical care for ED, if appropriate, from the comfort and privacy of your own home. You can handle everything online in a convenient, discreet manner. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. If your doctor decides that treatment would be appropriate, they can prescribe genuine medicine that can be delivered in discreet packaging right to your door with free two-day shipping. Guys, go talk to your doctor. Erectile dysfunction can be tough to tackle, but it's really important to get checked out. With Roman, it's easy to connect with the doctor. Just go to Roman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash BlueWire.